BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, it's Jason Greenblatt on The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. Today I interviewed Ami Daniel. Ami is the co-founder and CEO of a company called Windward. Windward is a company that uses data and technology to solve maritime challenges. It's hard to open up a paper these days without reading about sanctions, oil, national security, border protection, and all of this related to the maritime industry. And Windward is one of those companies that works in that space. I should point out that I am both an option shareholder and I do some consulting work for Windward. I do think you'll find this conversation interesting. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Jason Greenblatt. This is The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. So it's great to be with Ami Daniel, the co-founder and CEO of Windward. Ami, you and I met uh, maybe a year and a half ago or so, A one of the most talented venture capital guys, uh, I would say not just in Israel, but probably in the world, introduced us. Uh, we had a great meeting in your office in, in Tel Aviv in Israel, and uh, I was fascinated by what you do. So I really appreciate you coming on the show. I want to take us back a couple of years to, or more than a couple of years, perhaps, although you're very young, to uh, your Navy service. You know, I think people forget that Israel actually has an outstanding Navy. So tell me about your service in the Navy. Sounds good. So first, Jason, thank you very much for uh, having me on this show. I think it's uh, it's a super impactful and timely and, and thoughtful show. So I'm really honored to be here. If I kind of dial back just a bit, I was a Naval officer for six and a half years in the Israeli Navy. Um, which means you get trained for approximately a couple of years, then you serve in one vessel, then you for a couple of years and you get trained again, then you serve another vessel. I think I'm a probably living, breathing piece of history since um, I was the surface warfare officer on board a vessel called INS Hanit, which means spear in, in English, uh, which is a corvette that got hit in the second Lebanon war by Hezbollah missile, July 14th, 8.42 p.m., uh, just off the coast of Beirut. Um, so it's, uh, it's a very momentous event, obviously. Um, some people lost their lives, some people uh, were wounded, but it's really an historical, and I think life-changing event uh, for me. Uh, I also met my co-founder in the Navy. Uh, we sailed together. He was actually the first officer to, pro, uh, to wait for us back at port when we came back from that event. So uh, probably, you know, a life-changing event, I would say. And what ended up happening when you served? Meaning, did you come up with the idea for Windward as you served, or what did you see to, to spark this idea in your head? Yeah, so so back in the day, um, to take a step back, shipping is very traditional. And the reason it's traditional, um, by, the way, by the way, if you compare it to the airline industry, which we all know intuitively as consumers much better, it's way more traditional. And for a very simple reason, I think the listeners here in this podcast can pick up really quickly. If a plane goes down, all the world knows about it, right? Because you would have uh, the one that went down in Malaysia, for instance. Uh, so all the world is looking for it. Ship, don't, ships don't sink anymore that frequently. So if a ship is off the screen, you know, it's off the screen. So you have 20 sailors with a cargo of oil. Nobody knows where it, where it is right now, which is still happens every day, right? So, so shipping is pretty traditional. 
And back in the day, um, when I was in the Navy, after my vessel got hit, I took a role at the HQ, and it was the guy responsible for integrating commercial systems into the Navy. So I had to understand what direction the world is going in terms of IT for shipping and how this will influence the Navy. So these were the first days of something that's called AIS, Automated Identification System. It's something that really existed since the early 2000s. However, it really picked up uh, 2007, 2008, 2009, 2010, which is just the last days of kind of my Navy and the first days of thinking about this company. In essence, AIS is a VHF transmission. You can see where commercial vessels are in the world. And really, it was with that experience that I left the Navy and I saw, well, suddenly you have all this data, but well, what can you do with it? And that, I think, sparked the idea and a bit the experience of building this company. So typical Israeli military experience, startup knowledge, startup thirst, amazing to be able to roll it all up. And then you create Windward. So tell my listeners, what does Windward do? Sure. So, so let me say, first of all, 10, days in, 10 years in, we just went public in the London Stock Exchange a week and a half ago. Uh, which was very momentous for us because you know, connecting these two events. So in 2010 was the first days. Now we're kind of publicly traded company in London. This is mainstream for the industry, which I think is what's interesting. So we're a shipping and AI company. Um, we process global information on vessels, on the companies operating these vessels and the cargoes being traded on a global scale. And we re- distill them and refine them to a set of risk recommendations. And we provide that via one AI decision support platform to our customers. So I'll give you examples. We have over a dozen US federal agencies as our customers. So they use this platform to decide which vessels they should board uh, and search for narcotics, for instance. Um, uh, we have uh, multiple energy companies like BP and Shell use this platform to vet and make sure they stay on the right side of regulation for every vessel they chartle. That's a new regu- regulation by the US and the UK. And actually, we can talk a bit about yesterday, you had a big um, court order in Denmark come out um, on a sanctions compliance, shipping sanctions compliance event, basically sentencing the CEO of that company to go to jail. Uh, it was It's one of the first cases ever. So we partnered with governments to help them with security, energy companies, traders, banks, and so forth with sanctions compliance. We help insurance companies price uh, their policies. And I think we have a couple of super exciting areas we're expanding into, one of which is is carbon emissions and how these can be reduced, which is a burning issue for the world. And the second is really the, the, the ocean part of the supply chain, which is affecting everybody. We just saw the inflation numbers. And if you read the inflation numbers and the, the results for them, and I think it's 7% of the US, I think the UK is also rising. The, e, the EU is going to publish it today. It's a lot because of the supply chain becoming much, much more expensive, and that's that's predictable. So overall, shipping plus AI and a lot of room for growth. And the CEO who was sentenced, uh, was he, were they doing something wrong intentionally, or they just weren't properly paying attention to the sanctions compliance? I, I don't want to. Res- anyway, I don't want to give a cutoff answer because it's a, it's a it's a long judgment by the by the court in Denmark. But I would say first of all, it probably they didn't take the right precautions. I would say. It's a classic thing with uh, prevention versus dealing with thereafter. So, so if you take a step back for a second, according to EU and UK and, and US and so forth, you're not supposed to do certain things and you need to, to do certain checks before you do business with your counterparts. Allegedly, or according to the court in Denmark, this company called Dan Bunkering, 
uh, in Denmark sold what's called bunker fuel, which is which is ships fuel basically to vessels just off the coast of Syria, which served the Syrian regime. And they didn't do the checks that they were supposed to do. So basically, the court said, "How much money did you make of it? Of, out of, of this of this trade, they tripled it, and that's the fine." Plus, they provided four months of, of, of fines. And I think a lot of the CEOs in the space don't figure out, don't understand the response. If the, the, the accountability is personal, which means if you're the CEO of an energy company or a bank or a trader or a bunkering company, so forth, I appreciate you have a PL which you want to run. I'm running a PL in there as well. But what you don't want to do is get into jail because one of your teams wasn't as diligent as they're supposed to be. And then shipping, it's really growing area because it's new regulation. Basically a couple of years ago, nobody did these checks. And now everybody has to do these checks. And therefore this, I think this court order in Denmark um, is really uh, a big milestone in understanding the, the, the principles and in shipping and trading today globally. So I guess aside from the obvious sort of helping, ident- helping governments identify when somebody is surreptitiously transferring oil in the middle of the night, you also mm-hmm. help companies uh, and everyone in the maritime industry understand the risk, understand sanctions rules, so they could mm-hmm. do the checks that they need to do to avoid trouble, I suppose, is the easiest way to say it. Yeah, I think it's the easiest way to say it. But if, 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 if you look at it from the bird's eye view, you've had the UN Security Council um, write reports over the last six or seven years about how the DPRK is evading sanctions. And what the, what the US and the UK did, they basically adopted the terminology by the UN Security Council and, and, and um, asked the manifestation of which to influence all the trading in the insurance com- companies in the world, all the banks, all the energy companies, all the shipping companies. So they just raised the bar that required due diligence. Now you're supposed to review what the vessels had done and how they've behaved, not just who owns them. Uh, by the way, if you... You know, if you open a bank account in the U.S., when we open a bank account in the U.S. as a company, uh, our banking partner, one of the things, uh, their main questions was, when were, what are the actions you're taking in order to comply with the OFAC's sanctions compliance policies? And, you know, we're just a normal business company who went in the bank account in the U.S. So this is really monumental if you're running a business today in the world. Mm-hmm. And although the maritime industry is very traditional, as you say, I suppose, you know, as technology gets more sophisticated, as geopolitics um, gets more challenging, um, things affect the maritime industry, which I guess you you get affected, but you also help people deal with the effect. What would you say some of the biggest challenges are today in the maritime industry? Yeah, so I would say absolutely, I, I spoke about sanctions compliance. Number two is absolutely decarbonization. Um, as citizens of the world, we should be extremely worried about where the climate situation is. And if you look at the uh, at the key areas that cause these uh, this climate situation, and Bill Gates, by the way, has a, an amazing book on this called How to Avoid a Climate Disaster, which I really warmly recommend anybody who cares about climate. First of all, to read because it gives you a kind of big picture view of what drives carbon emissions globally and GHG. Um, but shipping is about 3% of the world's carbon emissions. However, as opposed to, for instance, uh, cars were being electrified, obviously, uh, at an amazing pace, um, shipping actually is growing 10% year over year. It's not reducing. And the fact of the matter is ships are heavy, so it's really hard to put a battery into a ship because it will sink. 
Um, so the question is, how do you reduce the carbon emissions of this really hard to abate sector? Um, so we're building a technology for that driven by AI, which uh, helps optimize commercial decisions to choose more effective vessels and more effective routes and, and better ETAs. And that we believe, and according to research, that can reduce carbon emissions by 20% per voyage, which is a lot. And taking into effect that you'll get the same job done. You just choose vessel A, not vessel C, with route B, not route D. And when ETA is different in six hours, then you can reduce it to by 20% your carbon emissions output. Um, and I think it's a big revolution for this sector because it's a sector that is notoriously mostly concerned about profitability. Would you say that this new technology could also be used for the aviation industry? It's a good question. Um, I don't know about decarbonization, but I think if you look at the other big challenge that the shipping industry is 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 dealing with, and that's and that's liner shipping, basically box shipping. Um, if you read the profit announcements, and I think Boohoo was just in the news today, the FT, they're specifically stating that the, the price of shipments in terms of supply chain has has significantly hindered their profitability. So, so you're talking about to ship the same box from the China to the U.S. Um, instead of costing you fifteen hundred dollars in thirty days, it now costs you anywhere between fifteen hundred, uh, fifteen thousand, and twenty thousand dollars. It takes you ninety days. That's per box. What happens if you move fifty thousand boxes a year? Um, you don't have bigger margins for that. So, so, so I think that's absolutely something that starts with ocean freight visibility. Talking to a lot of freight forwarders, um, they absolutely think this has to extend to air freight because every time you ship cargo around the world, these are different alternatives. You can either ship it in a vessel or you can ship it with air freight or with land freight or a combination thereof. So, so it's probably applicable to that as well. And you had mentioned the supply chain earlier on in the conversation. Can Windward's offerings sort of help untangle this supply chain mess that the entire world finds itself in? Yeah, wouldn't that be so presumptuous in that? But yeah. I think if you think about why this is caused, first of all, let's understand what's what supply chain for a second. Um, and again, I'd like to recommend a book. If you read, there's a guy called Professor Yossi Shefi from MIT. He's originally Israeli, but you know it's very... MIT for the last 25 years. Um, and he really talks about, explains to you what is supply chain and how, is it, how does it work to the listeners who are interested to learn more about it. But basically supply chain has been almost transparent until COVID. So even the New York Times didn't have a supply chain beat at all. They were just not covering supply chain at all, nothing until, until COVID. So supply chain is the... Uh, the different parties that, that work together to make sure you get the end product. So if it's a coat, if you go to, you know, um, whatever, Gap, and buy a coat, there's a very good chance that the ingredients for that coat, the materials for that coat, went through three or four countries and could be six or seven different uh, vendors. But you buy the end coat. So supply chain is everything that's needed to, to deliver you that end coat. Um, and ocean freight moves 90% of the world's trade. So obviously it has a big part in it. I think the most immediate uh, reason that, that this technology can help is because of a lot of the freight forwarders, which are the service providers that move these cargos, are very analog. I'm talking about 
47,000 ocean freight forwarders. So when you have a box and you want to ship it, the service you get is basically analog. It's people with a phone. And therefore, by increasing that customer service level, you can improve the decisions and then you can for sure better get customer service and better actions. So I think it's a bit cynical to think that the AI can really solve port congestion or solve, you know, uh, uh, will my presence come into Christmas? Because it's a very complicated problem. You need to slice this problem into different parts and absolutely better service and better awareness and better actions by logistics professionals can improve the supply chain issue we're handling right now, but they were not geared to it because it was not, it, it just worked, right? So why would they be geared to it? By the way, there is also an interesting discussion to be made about the impact on Silicon Valley, of Silicon Valley on this industry. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you want to talk about it, but I think having digital insurance companies like Lemonade, digital freight forwarders like Flexport uh, and so forth, digital banks really influences the traditional industry player. Because they're looking, I know I had a call with them, one of the CEOs this day, and he told me, I have 200 million of revenue. Flexport has 500 million of, sorry, turnover. Um, Flexport has half a billion of turnover. They're worth 3 billion or 3.5 billion. I'm worth 200 million. How come? Why is that difference? And the reason is they're digital and you're analog. So there's a knock on effect of getting digital players on traditional players, I think. Uh, let's talk about national security, right? It's on everybody's mind the same way COVID is. What is Winward's role in helping countries maintain national security? Yeah, I think first and foremost, the, the ocean has been um, a very good way to smuggle things into ports and into the country. Um, because in a, lot of, in a lot of shipping, there are no really easy to, to spot patterns. It's It's seasonal. You have a lot of ships, a lot of, you know, uh, flags of convenience. It's not really regulated. And we are, our platform rec- provides a, a very clear recommendation of who do you want to check today to make sure th- something's not going in. Um, and I think by now, it's probably the golden standard in that space. So for good or bad, by the way, a lot of tech companies didn't go after this target because this market is not so big. We thought that going after national security could get us credibility and build best-in-class technology that we can afterwards roll to other parts of the ecosystem. Um, so first of all, it's it's preventing bad things to get into your shores, and but also go beyond your borders. So you're American, obviously. So in the U.S., I think, in Europe, and these big countries are able to also go beyond their borders to wherever is being smuggled from, Latin America or West Africa, and pick things up at the origin. There's also the um, a bit of a tension nowadays uh, between could be China and other countries, or you know. So there's a lot happening in the in that space, specifically the Great Park competition, and specifically if you look at what's happening in the South China Sea with the Spratly Islands, and you know China, it's called China encroachment between China and the Philippines, China and the Vietnam, and so forth. So I think this is a, a big issue that. Everybody's lacking technology to figure out. But essentially, you can actually um, identify pretty much every ship that's on the sea? Uh, yes, absolutely. The answer is yes. Uh, obviously, there are always nuances to that, right? If the vessel never transmits, or, but we know how to. Today, we have a multi sensor platform that takes vessels' transmissions, databases, weather, port, but also optical imagery. 
radio frequency data, radar, satellite radar uh, imagery. So every sensor you can think of from space, it can pick up and spot things in the sea we use. Um, and I think that's, that's a very powerful tool to those who know how to use it. Um, to those who don't know how to use it, I think uh, it might need a bit of help, either us or other people can help them. But I think it's a game changer. If you look, by the way, and you write a lot about the Gulf, obviously, and you were one of the key brokers of the, uh, and, you know, and well done. As an Israeli, I can tell you very well done for the work you've done. Thank you. With President, with President Trump on the Abraham Accords, I was a few time, times in Abu Dhabi and Dubai myself. I think it's a game changer. It's a game changer for the, for the area. It's a game changer for Israel. And I think it's maybe the biggest contribution you could ever make to the state of Israel. Um, uh, if President Trump could have uh, contributed to the, president of the state of Israel. But if you look at even at the Gulf, you would see what's happening in Yemen and the war in Yemen. And our technology has really been instrumental in understanding what's going in and out of Yemen. And, you know, there's a bit of a shadow war going on there for the last few years. You know, it's interesting because when you read the newspapers, you read a lot about airstrikes, but people don't realize that most of the illicit weaponry, I guess, is coming by sea, right? Uh, yeah, although if you would have read the New York Times in the last several months, you would have read, it, I think, about a shadow war between Israel and Iran. You know, I don't know anything about that because that's not my business. But um, but sure, it's you read about airstrikes because they're easier to spot. Because there's if you, from from the science perspective, it, it's much easier to spot an airplane in the sky than a ship in the sea because the world is, is because the world is rounded, there's, there's a curve. So you could spot a vessel for 10K, 20K, 30K kilometers, but you can, you can spot an airplane for 200 or 300 kilometers. So basically, if you look at the, geographic of the geography of the Middle East, once a plane lifts off from Israel, it could very nearly be detected inside the border of Israel because before it goes anywhere else. So from the science perspective, it's just much easier to track. And in terms of tracking ships, so years ago, and maybe this is still true today, when somebody wanted to transfer something in the middle of the night, a ship that is, they would just turn off their transponder, do what they needed to do, and move on. Has that changed, and, and does your technology allow people to actually uh, to catch the people who are doing uh, bad things in the middle of the day or night without a transponder? Yeah, so I think the, the, the short answer is it has evolved, it hasn't changed. So first of all, people still turn off transmission in the middle of the night. Having said that, and we broke these news in, in the Washington Post in April 2021, there's a new trend which has gone up 5,000% in the last 12 months of what's called GNS spoofing or GPS manipulation, which basically mean, means forging your um, uh, coordinates on the vessels transmitting transmitter called AIS. So, so you would have seen or you would see vessels in the Caribbean where actually they're not in the Caribbean. Actually, they're somewhere else. You would see vessels in the middle of the Gulf where actually it's loading cargo in Iran. And that's a very sophisticated evolution of the other side um, that I think a lot of people don't pick up. So I can tell you we have customers like I know people in the space uh, and we've had conversations with them have, that have sold their vessels um, to a third party, which they thought was vetted and cool because it was a shipping company in Cyprus. And that shipping company in Cyprus ended up doing GNS manipulation and breaking sanctions off Venezuela and Iran. 
uh, and now they're in trouble. So, so it's becoming much harder to do business with third parties without vetting that. And as, as we just saw with, with this guy perhaps going to jail in Denmark, this is just not worth it. And it's, you can just spot that with legacy systems. And I think maybe that's a challenge because a lot of the industry players, about 5,000 you know, trading and shipping organizations, have something in place. They're used to opening marine traffic and seeing it for free or buying whatever legacy data provider they have. Um, but until they get bitten themselves or somebody next to them get bitten, they don't understand that these systems just don't pick up what they, um, what they need. Uh, but it's a very, I think, dangerous habit to fix only after you got bitten. So absolutely, we've seen, we've seen evolution. And we expect to see more evolutions like that because, by the way, it's very cheap. It's like GPS uh, jammers. It costs how much to develop a bomb with GPS uh, guidance? I know millions. Every bomb is cost $5 million. A GPS jammer costs 500 bucks. So always to jam or spoof something, it's way cheaper than to, to do it from the get-go. So now I know why your team has to work so hard, because basically the bad guys are very quickly becoming even more bad, yeah. more you know, more smart. So you have to stay multiple steps ahead of them, but constantly. Yeah, and th- and that's why we, you know, the the IPO we just lived in London was a growth IPO. So the whole idea is you raise cash to grow the company, grow the business. So it's 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 just you know, thirty plus more million bucks to put into AI. You you have to do that, otherwise you're left behind and deemed irrelevant in a couple of years, for sure. So I know you have to be careful talking about issues, examples, whatever it is, but for my listeners' benefits, so they could really understand why they ought to care about what's going on. Can you give me a, like one of the most um, difficult examples where you played a role, where Winward played a role to help stop something really bad? Whew, wow. Um, that's a good question. So, so, um, just thinking about what 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 can I say here? So first of all, I'd like to make sure to to the listeners understand we're a SaaS company. We sell technology. Our customers are the ones who choose how to use it. Um, we don't tell them what to do, and oftentimes we're not even aware what of what they do. But um, we've seen in multiple cases um, that just being able to use AI to look at an area makes a big difference. I think one of the examples that listeners could really connect to is illegal phishing um, because basically today in the US and in the Europe, you're trying to make sure you have traceability of the fish. So you don't want to buy something. And there's been, by the way, Netflix movies on this and, and others on, on illegal phishing. So I, we've seen multiple cases where technology has been put into use. And has unveiled, you know, tens of cases of illegal phishing. Uh, specifically, I'll tell you one case, and uh, we work with um, with an NGO called Sea Shepherd, which we give them pro bono technology. And uh, together, we picked up uh, six or seven vessels um, fishing illegally off uh, different countries in Africa, and they they busted these vessels, but they had the ambassador of that country within 90 minutes at the president's office, threatening to cut off every financing this country gets from that country. Um, so that's big time, right? And you're talking about, you know, 
millions of dollars of fish in every one of these vessels. Um, but I think, if I if I may, I think the consumers are a driving force here, and and that's correct for illegal fishing. It's also correct for decarbonization. If we as consumers, um, if we consume wisely in in a in a value driven way, we change you know everybody's behavior. Don't buy fish that are not traceable. You know, don't try to buy a, a product that has a have a carbon uh, stamp on it on, in terms of carbon efficiency. And that will drive all the rest of the ecosystem. So last question, Ami. You, you, know, you served in the Navy. You created a startup. Um, you're in a very cool space in terms of what your company does. What's your advice to uh, college and grad students these days who want to kind of take the next step? Um, what do you want to tell them uh, based on your career trajectory so far? First of all, I would say um, a few things. I, I think you should jump into the in the, in the water a bit. The most imp- I think you need to to choose a company with the right culture that that makes sure they see you and they give you a chance. That's number one. Number two, you the most important first couple of choices you make is or who is your boss. So you you need a good school, like not just college, but a good good school in terms of workplace. And your boss and the culture you work in, I think, make a really big difference. And I think a combination of startups and corporates, but I would actually start with startups because it's a lot less clean, so to speak. It's much less packaged and boxed. In a big corporate, you have no choice, but everybody have their own role. In a startup, you really can make a difference even if you're one person and you're really young because they judge the whole culture is meritocracy so they judge you according to your, your the difference you make uh, and they promote you according to the difference you make so so choose a space choose the right boss choose the right culture and just double down because i think a lot of the people today they wait a bit or you know they get offended or you know they think too much um, from my experience you know sometimes the only way through a wall is through a wall is with your head and you just need to work hard and double down on it, and then everything will come. But don't don't expect fast outcomes and amazing results if you don't give everything you have. And you know, and and that's that's you know also what I've learned since I was fifteen, sixteen. You wake up in the morning and you give everything you have. And Michael Eisenberg, who introduced us, you know, once he he taught me a good lesson in life. He taught me the the, the sentence, which maybe the listeners will enjoy cards get turned so we spoke four or five minutes ago four or five years ago it wasn't easy building the company to where we are today and he told me you know what i mean stay, you know stay in there take your burn rate low you know be persistent cards get turned but suddenly you had new regulation for sanctions compliance and we went u.s federal and now decarbonization and supply chain now everything is you know beautiful and obviously there are a lot of challenges but we know how to execute and we went public we can, can grow a, a lot more we have a strong board. We have mentors. So, 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 so cards get turned and stay in, kind of stay in there. Got it. Well, that's great advice to the listeners. Thank you, Ami. Ami Daniel, thank you so much for being on the show. Fascinating discussion. A little bit scary, but good to know that there are companies out there that are helping to contain the scary things. Thank you, Jason. Thank you for having me. Take care. Hi, it's Jason Greenblatt on The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. What a pleasure to interview Ami Daniel, the co-founder and CEO of WinWord. 
We discussed uh, Ami's Navy service in the Israeli Navy and how that led him to come up with the idea for Windward. We discussed sanctions, deceptive shipping practices, how Windward is sort of the eye to detect bad actions at sea. A really fascinating discussion that I hope you enjoyed. Again, just as a reminder, I do consulting work for Windward and I'm an option shareholder. If you found this podcast interesting and informative, please do share it and my other podcasts with your friends, family, and colleagues. You can listen to The Diplomat on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. We've had a great roster of guests so far. If you missed any of the guests, do scroll back to to find those shows and listen to them. We have a great bunch of guests coming up as well. Do follow me on Twitter at GreenbladJD. And do pre-order my book on Amazon. Just search my name and you'll find the book in The Path of Abraham. It is available for pre-order now. Until next time, I'm Jason Greenblatt. This is The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek.